Zach's video from Boston Speaks Up. I'm here with the sponsor, Reed. Silicon Valley Bank is a proud sponsor of Boston Speaks Up for more than 35 years. Silicon Valley Bank has helped innovative companies and their investors move bold ideas forward fast. SVB provides targeted financial services and expertise through its offices at 53 State Street in downtown Boston and in Newton and innovation centers around the world. With commercial, international, and private banking services, SVB helps address the unique needs of Boston's innovators. Learn more at svb.com. So Zach Shavidio here from Boston Speaks Up. I'm here with Ryan Light, the CEO of Pistol Lake. What's up, Ryan? Hey, what's up, Zach? Great to great to hear your voice, man. This is the first time that I'm doing a podcast uh, via via digital, via phone, via the computer, uh, not in real life. And I am breaking that rule for a most special reason. Um, just so impressed. Um, and inspired by what you've been up to at Pistol Lake uh, during the the COVID nineteen outbreak uh, and these these times of um, this pandemic that we're in. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read a quick intro that I wrote um, just to kind of tee up our conversation and let um, Boston uh, speaks up community and the Boston O community know what they're in store for. So Boston O readers will recognize. Ryan Light from his time in Boston in prominent marketing roles at CoachUp and Convey. After seven years in Boston, Light moved to Los Angeles in 2018 to become the CEO of Pistol Lake, a clothing brand where everything is ethically made in the US. This week, Pistol Lake stopped manufacturing clothes at its Los Angeles headquarters in favor of making masks for hospitals and urgent care workers treating patients with COVID-19. Well known for his creative marketing skills, Light's creative business decision to help medical workers on the front lines while keeping Pistol Lake's factory workers paid during uncertain economic times really caught our interest. Dope, man. So, so Ryan, thanks so much. Um, and you're, you're doing this call from, uh, from, a, from a building that looks like a boat in uh, Venice Beach, California, right? Yep, that's true. And not only is it a building that looks like a boat, it's a building that looks like a boat that you used to live in and you helped me find. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We 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 Boston brethren, we, we look out for each other, right? So yeah, for listeners, when I was moving back to Boston from Los Angeles, Ryan was making the move from, from Boston to LA and it worked out perfectly that he could uh, slide into this really cool um, small unit building right by Venice beach that I had, uh, I had lived in for a few years. So I'm, I'm happy it's working out for you. You dress it up like a pirate ship for Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> no, but we do have, uh, we kind of have captain's hats and kind of, uh, the general, uh, nautical themed hats that sometimes we'll make some of our, our more hilarious friends wear and, and sit on the bow of the boat and take a picture when they come stay with us. Nice. Oh, that's amazing. Um, I, I look forward to uh, to coming back and you know first mate duties or whatever whatever um, deckhand duties you got for me I'm I'm down I'd love to come visit my, my our our daughter was born there the the boat has a special place in the Servideo family's hearts amazing 
<laughs> so Ryan, I, I really just, I want to unpack, um, how it's, you know, how Pistol Lake is maneuvering the current crisis and really stepping up. Um, and before doing that, I just would love to kind of go back and just, just catch up on a, on a little bit of history. Um, just beginning with, um, you know, what brought you to Boston and then also just a little bit of, you know, what it's been like to shift from Boston, Los Angeles. So you grew up in Texas, you went to UT Austin. Um, you know, what, what was, um, you know, what was your childhood like and, and, um, and what, you know, and, and kind of bring us up to like, what brought you from Austin to Boston? Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, so I actually, I was born, um, in Poway, California, just North of San Diego. And I, I lived there until I was 12. And then we moved to uh, rural Texas, uh, a little city called Wiley. that's about 45 minutes north of Dallas. Uh, I went to middle school and high school there. And then um, the evening that I graduated high school, uh, I moved down to Austin, Texas to go uh, live with two of my best friends uh, slash bandmates. Um, I was doing that whole thing where you moved to Austin from rural, other rural parts of Texas to try and become a musician. Uh, didn't exactly work out, but I loved my time in Austin. I loved the university of Texas. Um, I met two really, uh, influential and crucial people, um, to my life and my career path in Travis Schreeder and Morgan Bickle, who, uh, Morgan was my roommate in college and, uh, Travis was a TA in one of my computer science classes. And, um, we got together, um, I was a, after school, I, I was a web developer, web designer. Um, I, I did it for years, kind of just doing, um, you know, like local companies, like roofing companies, plumbers, uh, you know, if, if a hair salon, um, needed something, um, I would, I would build them websites and that kind of over time, um, turned into me getting some good gigs. Um, I got the awesome city limits, the TV show gig. And then that kind of started helping me get a lot more um, kind of higher end gigs. Um, and I was doing bands and uh, festivals and, and comedians and, and comedy uh, uh, comedy clubs, all of their websites. So I kind of got to be known to be the guy that, that would make a website for you if you were kind of in that type of industry. Uh, anyways, fast nice. forward to, to 2010, and um, more and more uh, clients were asking me to build um, uh, mobile apps instead of websites. And I didn't know how to do it, but I figured that there was tools out there like uh, web developers use like uh, Drupal and Joomla and WordPress and all that stuff that you could build on top of. Turns out there wasn't. And um, so Shravish, uh, who I mentioned before, and Morgan, my roommate, we all put our heads together and thought that Rather than building people, uh, you know, one-off mobile apps, it made, made, it made a lot more sense to build the kind of backend as a service platform that would be the WordPress for mobile apps uh, to make development easier for everyone. That company turned into Convey. Uh, we worked on it for, I don't know, six, eight months in Austin before we uh, applied to Techstars in Boston. Um, I thought that I was, we got in, I thought that I was going there for, for three months just for the program. And then I was going to go back to my normal life in Austin. But you know, we, we raised 2 million bucks before demo day. And I was like, well, I guess I live in Boston and I'm building a company now. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we, we all packed up our stuff and, you know, it was, I, I basically took what could fit in one suitcase and a backpack and 
my my roommate kept living in my condo in Austin for another six years, and I, I'm sure some of my stuff is still even there, even though we sold the place. That's amazing. Um, so so I want to double click on a few of those things. So so back yeah, yeah. in back in Austin, um, so you had like intimate experience, like developing um, you know websites and sort of digital experiences for a lot of the sort of culture of, of, of Austin, whether it be through Austin city limits or like, you know, and South by Southwest and a lot of the sort of the brands that kind of had a, had a, certainly a presence during those, um, those events, but then, you know, throughout the entire year. So you kind of have an understanding of the, the pulse that is Austin. So I'm curious, like, what did it mean to you when you heard that South by Southwest was was canceled what did, what did what does that mean to the city of of austin oh man that was that was devastating like that that really broke my heart um because it, i mean to your point uh, south by southwest is so crucial to to the community of austin to the culture of austin and it, it really broke my heart to think about you know how many businesses were, were going to miss out on some of their you know really key revenue during that time um you know, from a creative standpoint, how many, how many movies aren't going to, you know, you know, get picked up and, and um, spread around, how many bands aren't going to get discovered. Um, and even down to some really granular things. Like when I lived in Austin, um, I rented a place that was a little bit probably above my rental means because mm-hmm. I knew that I could go, uh, during South by, I could rent it out for two weeks and make two or three months worth of rent. And I'd go stay with my girlfriend at the time. And I, I know that there's a lot of people that just kind of build their entire year's kind of revenue outlook, um, whether that's individuals, businesses, uh, the service industry, you name it. They, they expect that revenue from, from South by Southwest. So it just it was devastating when I, when I saw that that happened. And, and uh, I'm really feeling for those people. I, I think it was the right call, uh, mm-hmm. obviously. But, um, you know, it's it's. It's it's tough in the times that we're living with. We we get we do what we got to do, but you know there's a lot of uh, financial and and just kind of like destruction in the wake. It stinks. Yeah, yeah. No, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. I, I imagine your color your color commentary is is um, particularly helpful for Bostonians to hear, just given your um, intimate familiarity with with austin and i think yeah I mean, every, everyone's hurting everyone's certain gonna hurt everywhere hopefully some of these uh small business stimulus sort of packages can can help um so so let's go back into where where you were at on that career journey in in boston we're working our way on your move on your move to la but so you you came out to boston with convey like what was the what was the size of the founding team at that point? And like, how, you know, how big did you build that business and sort of what, you know, take us through sort of like beginning, middle end, and, and, and also just more broadly, like what about the Boston innovation scene uh, compelled you to, to make it home? Uh, Yeah, for sure. So I'll, I'll start with kind of the, uh, laying out kind of the team size and, and build of, of the convey team. Um, there's three of us uh, that, that went through the Techstars program, uh, me, Shravish, and uh, Morgan. Uh, but there was three to four other kind of really key players um, uh, that were they were still working on their, their normal nine to five jobs while we kind of 
you know, got built the thing from zero to something that could actually pay them to, to leave their jobs. Um, so it, it was just three, three at first with three or four kind of like freelancers. And then, um, you know, by the time that I left, I think we, we had 30, 35 employees and, um, it, it all happened so fast, you know, that, that went from, that was 2011 in March when we started the, the textiles program and, and, um, you know, just within the, the course of a year, I think we, you know, 10 X to the team and really, really built the thing to be a really useful product. And what was kind of interesting about it is that, um, you know, one of the things that really appealed to me about it is that, you know, I was the creative and marketing director there. So I was making creative and, and marketing campaigns for, for kind of dudes like me, mm-hmm. like a lot of um, freelance web developers or, you know, small dev shops that were kind of transitioning into making mobile apps. And there was a company that was one of our competitors, our biggest competitor at the time called Parse. And they, they ended up getting uh, bought by Facebook for, a, I can't even remember, I think it was 70 or $80 million, something really nice number. And so Facebook takes it and they open source the entire project. So now a, a version of our product is out there for free. And so we kind of had to do, we were like, well, I guess we're dead in the water. That was fun, boys. Um, but we ended up, uh, you know, the, the Travis is a really savvy, smart guy. And we made a pivot and, um, you know, made the platform like HIPAA compliant, super secure. So like banks could use us. And we went all in, um, went all in kind of towards the enterprise market. And that ended up really paying off because uh, Convey sold two or three years ago for, for 49 million bucks. Um, and we had a nice little exit, made the, made the investors happy. People that worked there that were kind of the founding team could do some things in their careers from then on out that were, you know, they, they might be too risk adverse to do otherwise. So that was kind of a nice. cool thing. Cool. And before, before we double click into sort of the Boston innovation scene and then like your, yeah. your move over to coach up. So when you were at TechStars Boston, that was like 2010, 11, 12, like what, what was it right around there? Yeah, it was 2011. We started okay. in March and the program's three months long. Cool. You, Cause I, you, you actually helped me reconnect with, um, Clement Casalot, who's now the, the managing director of Techstars Boston, but he was at Doc Tracker back in the day. Yep. I think it was like 2011, yep. 2012. Were you in this? Were you in the same Techstars class, or is like is that how you met Clem? Uh, we were one class apart, okay. and that's 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 how I, I met him because uh, actually Ben Carcio, uh, the founder and CEO of, of one of the other classes that was was in um, in in my class, Promobox. He and I uh, came up with a, a program where uh, we called it the Techstars After After Party. So for context here, for people that don't know Techstars that well, so after Demo Day, everybody's been cramming for three months. It's like, I don't, it's the most intense like kind of combo of like boot camp and final exams and, and you know, like uh, a really hard college course and a new job training all at once. Mm-hmm. So after Demo Day is over, everybody's kind of ready to let their hair down. And so right after demo day happens, you have a whole bunch of conversations with investors. You kind of got to keep your, uh, you got to keep your tie on, kind of keep, uh, keep your head straight. And then afterwards they have a, an actual after party where there still are investors and people that you need to kind of behave around. Uh, Ben and I came up with the idea for the after after party and it was no investors allowed, just, uh, former, t- former, uh, Techstars teams and the current Techstars teams. And the former Techstars teams bought all of the drinks and all of the food um, for the, the class that just finished their demo day. And so I got to know Clem really well from, from putting on those. 
and then we just kind of run in, in similar social circles. And that kind of brings, uh, that kind of like nicely tees up your next question, which was the, the kind of Boston innovation, you know, community and, and like how tight knit it is. Right. And there's so many of these, there's so many of these small and big things that are really well done by Boston um, that keep like-minded people um, at the same events, you know, in the same room, working on the same projects, whether it's a, a musical project, like, uh, um, like there was Techies Got Talent. It was like a talent show for like tech people. There was, uh, you know, there's the, the tug uh, tequila and wine mm-hmm. parties. There's, a, there's all these things that, get smart people that can help each other out and maybe, you know, might, uh, it, it might just be, you know, a good thing for you guys to hang out. It might be an intro that you need later to an investor. It might, you might end up working for a company later with somebody that you met at one of these social things. And I've never been to a place that does a better job than that, than Boston. That's awesome. Um, so is that sort of how did, how did you meet and, and sort of make your next move and, and how did the coach up opportunity come about? Uh, so coach up came about, uh, cause we were playing, uh, I was in a basketball league with, uh, Jordan Schlegel from coach up, which coach up didn't exist at the time. And with Will Salinsky, the founder of, of Pistol Lake. It was kind of a, we, we called it like the, the nerd startup tech uh, basketball league. It was in Cambridge and I was a Cambridge athletic club ran it. I, I uh, played in that league. Oh, and then, see, and you're a nerd. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a nerd. I was in that league. <laughs> I was nerd. Nice. Yeah. I was nerd. Uh, court. Nice. So there, there's another thing where Boston just does a great job of, I mean, Boston didn't mean to, to make us all get together like that. It's not like right. the city is doing anything. Just, the communities there just do a really good job of putting people in the right spot. But yeah, so Jordan, sure. um, Jordan was on my basketball team and, uh, he's six, six and <laughs> I don't know, like two thirty, And he was like a professional basketball player and he could have just decimated us and everyone else anytime he went to, but he just kind of like, he would play to his competition. And, um, yeah. I, I've, I love basketball and I'm, I'm a little fiery when I play like in a nice way. And Jordan, mm-hmm. like Jordan and I like bonded over basketball and he knew that, um, you know, I had some experience building websites, uh, from my time, um, running snaggy mustache, which was my company that, uh, built websites for office city limits and a bunch of other clients. And so he started picking my brain about, he, he told me about coacha. He was like, Hey, uh, you know, I'm a private coach for basketball. I used to be a, a pro basketball player, but I'm having problems with, you know, scheduling with getting paid. Cause I feel awkward asking for cash or check or, and at the time, like Venmo didn't exist and like PayPal didn't even have an app. So it was just kind of like a wild West time to do what Jordan was doing. Mm-hmm. So he, he kept asking me questions on how I would build it and you know, how, what he should look for in a CTO and all of these things. And, through playing basketball and kind of working on, you know, the ideation of, of his, uh, startup together, we got to be really good friends. Um, so when it came time to, uh, for, for me to leave convey, um, Jordan was one of the first people to reach out. Uh, it was like, Hey man, you gotta come join my team. Don't care. I'm not going to listen to no. And it was <laughs> like, uh, I'm, I'm going out and I'm buying you a beer right now. We're going to get a beer together. And Jordan doesn't really drink beer. No, he was like, well, actually, uh, I'll have a wine. You can have a beer. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we got to talking and I'm obsessed with sports. Um, yeah. I used to coach, I used to coach my cousins, uh, 
you know, sixth and seventh grade basketball teams like this, everything that coach up does and did, um, just ticked a lot of boxes for me. Um, so I ended up joining the team. That's cool. So what year, what year was that? And then like, how was, how was the, how was that journey? I mean, you got to do from afar coach up was an interesting brand in, in, a, in a city where a lot of amazing innovations hide in plain sight from Boston, maybe because they're more, you know, technical B2B, like, you know, software companies that, that maybe aren't as sexy, so to speak. Right. Um, but coach up was, you know, cool, co- you know, a company that was helping match, um, you know, young, young people helping parents basically get their, their, their children, like one-on-one coaches, private coaching mm-hmm. for a variety of sports. And then you were doing uh, really cool sponsored content with like Steph Curry from the golden state warriors. Um, so, so really just like, I, I think it's a brand that kind of has a, it rings and reverberates, um, a lot in Boston, just in, in that, um, it kind of bucked the trend a little bit of what you'd typically see out of the city. Um, but yeah, like when, you know, what, so what, what year was that when you started? And like, I guess describe some of the, some of the fun that you had being sort of a creative marketer. Um, yeah. and then of course, some of the specific things that you, you know, had the most fun doing, which I'm sure working with staff was one of those. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That was, uh, 2013. Um, when, when I joined those guys and I, I was there for five years total. And, uh, you know, I was, I was basically employee number one there. Like everybody else was either an intern or a founder by the time uh, we came in. And so it was, it was a really cool journey. Um, and to your point, there isn't, there wasn't a lot of, of, you know, B to C stuff, um, that was really easy to explain and have people understand. Like, uh, when I was at convey, like, and I would tell somebody that, that isn't a developer, what I did or what our company did, they would kind of give me these blank stares, like, <laughs> uh, what dude, <laughs> but if I tell somebody what coach up did, uh, it's, it's pretty instantly understandable and you can see where the value is there. So that, that was really cool. But we had, we had about 40 coaches on the platform, uh, whenever I first joined on and they were overwhelmingly just like Jordan buddies that, that he had played basketball with, uh, throughout the years. And by, by the time I left in 2017, we 50,000 coaches on the platform. So the, the team just really hustled uh, to build that thing. And we got to do a ton of really, really cool stuff along the way. And, 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 you know, you mentioned the Steph Curry thing that was, we couldn't have had better slash. I, I wish I could say that we were, that we were brilliant and saw Steph's kind of like rise to total like world domination and stardom coming, but, but we didn't. He was, uh, he was one of the guys that we, we thought really told our story well, which was, mm-hmm. um, you know, his, his father was a professional basketball player. He's kind of an undersized, just normal looking dude. He doesn't look like a wall chart of muscles, like, you know, LeBron James or whatever. Like right. LeBron James looks to me like he was put on this earth to play basketball. <laughs> That's it. Or, yeah, play basketball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or basically any sport he wanted to. Yeah. Or defensive but, end. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Steph's in great shape and he's a world-class athlete, obviously, but you would, if he, if he wasn't Steph, you could walk by him on the street and he, you wouldn't do like a, a, a spin around to be like, what even is that guy? Um, so the story that we wanted to tell with him was, you know, he was able to overcome some of his height challenges and, and athleticism challenges by just practicing day in, day out and practicing the right way. And the reason why he had access to that was because his father was a, an NBA player and some of his NBA level coaches 
would dedicate time to working with staff. And so CoachUp kind of democratized that for, you know, people all over the country. And that was really special to me because, you know, when you, when you think about what it means to make um, or stay on a middle school or high school team, like, uh, you know, I was cut from uh, my high school basketball team my sophomore year, and all of my best friends played basketball. And so I missed out on a lot of cool experiences because I hadn't grown yet <laughs> and uh, because I didn't have access to a coach like that. But when we were doing, uh, when we were working with Steph, you know, we went out to the Bay Area um, two times to work on commercials with him. And he couldn't have been a nicer dude. Like, uh, I, I know that's probably like a cliche thing to say about like a, a well-liked athlete, but he was legit just the nicest dude. Like a good example is, um, you know, we had to put together his, his like trailer where he could change and kind of hang out between, uh, between shots and everything. And all he asked for is he wanted uh, a Chick-fil-A breakfast sandwich and he wanted some, some microwave popcorn. And, <laughs> and, you know, from working with, with Austin City Limits for years and seeing some of the writers that some of the musicians wanted, that is the most humble, just kind of chill thing that you could ever want. Um, Here's nice. a, I'm going to do it was like, I want, I want the glacial freeze Gatorade. <laughs> like I want, yeah. Like the, yeah, I want, I want diet, you know, like a, a long laundry list of things. It's just like, give me yeah. some popcorn, Chick-fil-A breakfast. Great taste, by the way, Chick-fil-A breakfast. Yeah. Just no one's had it. It's, it's right. fire. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. Uh, <laughs> I had, I, even though I lived in Texas for years, I actually hadn't had one before that shoot. Um, uh, so that was kind of wild. So Steph but, Curry uh, turned you onto the Chick-fil-A breakfast sandwich. Yeah, that's his claim to fame. That's there actually what he's more. That's what he's more well known for yeah. than his basketball thing. <laughs> but in, in between, here's here's one thing that I get to brag on. Uh, kind of until you know, if, if I ever have kids, uh, my grandkids are going to hear the story because I got one letter on Steph Curry in horse. So be, <laughs> between between nice. shots, uh, when we were kind of like reconfiguring the cameras and stuff, uh, we were playing horse. And um, I did a soccer rainbow kick over my head into a layup. And oh, you did a rainbow kick over your yeah. head like a rainbow! <laughs> yeah. Wow! Yeah. And so that I knew that I'm not going to be able to do anything basketball related and get yeah. that hurt. So that well that was played. the that was my uh, strategy there. And you know, he's just I'm just a dude, <laughs> and he's playing horses, man. He was That's super cool. awesome to all of the all of the camera people, everybody in the crew. Um, you know, he was signing autographs, taking pictures of people's aunts and grandmas and stuff. He was a rad dude. That's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, so, so you were at Coach Up for five, you said five something years? Five so? years. So it was like 2013 to 2018, basically pretty close to up to when. And then what, what was going through your mind? So you mentioned, um, the the original founder of Pistol Lake, I'm blanking on his name. Um, yeah, William Solinsky. William Solinsky, who was on that basketball game. So you basically were working with the two founders of the <laughs> next two companies that you would work for when you were playing in the Cambridge um, Athletic Club League. Yep. Never nice. knew that. Did not know that at the time, but you know, life is strange like that. So young entrepreneurs out there go sign up for a Cambridge athletic club league. And you, your, your next job is just a um, basketball teammate away. <laughs> yep, that's, that's really good <laughs> advice. If that's the only takeaway you get from this, it's that. There you go. So, um, all right. So will, so at what point, like a couple things are happening. I mean, you and I, 
we had we had started to connect through Dan Rowinski, the OG mm-hmm. original Boston Speaks Up guest um, and mutual you know great friend of ours. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I knew that you know I, I was expressing my desire and plans to move back to Boston, which you were super helpful about. And then as we were progressing through um, all these things that um, I was looking to do in Boston, and you were such a great guide and, and, uh, in all of that, which I really appreciate. And I'll thank My you pleasure. for, you know, for years and years to come. Um, uh, and then you were like, dude, I actually think I have an opportunity to go out to LA. Uh, yep. and it was probably like, a, it might've been like 60 days before I left. Um, so kind of talk us through, you know, talk listeners through what, you know, when Will approached you and was it immediately like, dude, you're the guy to be the chief executive of my company. And, you know, it, it, you know, it makes sense from afar, like a, like an executive sort of like creative, but like, like, like diligent marketer to like to come in and run an e-commerce business is actually, Mm -hmm. you know, fits the profile of someone that could, you know, that could succeed. Um, And then knowing you, like you're not someone to fail. Uh, but yeah, like how, how'd that conversation start with Will? How long was it going on? And, and, you know, how, how easy or difficult was it to, to take that sort of a leap, both as a chief executive of a new company across the country and also to leave Boston? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, weird stuff led to all of this. I, I, I feel like my career has been a little bit like watching Forrest Gump. <laughs> Forrest Gump, he, he, he was just kind of in the right place at the right time instead of, and, and he was willing to try new things versus, you know, really going out and hustling for these, uh, these things. Um, but right. it was another kind of right place, right time. Like, um, you know, Will and I, we, we were actually roommates, uh, in Cambridge. We lived right by Lord Hobo over on Hampshire street. Nice. And, um, you know, he, he left being roommates, uh, with me, um, to go start Pistol Lake, um, out in California. And so I was there with him kind of bouncing ideas off each other. Um, you know, really early on, I saw how passionate he was about it. And, um, I was an early investor and, um, have been an advisor for the, the entirety of, 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 you know, Pistol Lake's existence. Great. And, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was one of his friends that worked in, in marketing and, and kind of was a creative director. So a lot of times we would put our heads together on things, you know, that when he would be like, Hey, should I do this or that or whatever? And so Will had been really banging on, on, um, Pistol Lake, you know, for five, six years, ups, downs. Uh, he really put in the work. He did all of the hard stuff. He invented the fabrics. He, you know, uh, got the entire supply chain together, got the, um, you know, the really vibrant and dedicated community that Pistol Lake has. And he was feeling like, you know, I, in order for this company to grow, he wanted to move over into like a VP of marketing or a VP of product role, sorry. Yeah. And just really just concentrate on what Pistol Lake is going to make, inventing new fabrics, stuff like that, the, the, the really sciencey smart guy stuff. Mm-hmm. And he wanted somebody else to kind of deal with the day-to-day stuff. And he actually he reached out to me to help him kind of come up with a plan for, um, you know, how to interview CEO candidates and had me talk to a couple of different folks. And it wasn't the plan for me to take over. Um, okay. you know, I wasn't, I wasn't looking to move. Uh, he didn't really think that I wanted the job, um, or, 
you know, that I was looking to move, um, but I wanted to help out my buddy. And over the course of talking to some folks and helping them put together, um, you know, kind of what to look for in a, a CEO to take over, uh, I got really excited about the job. And I was like, even though I've never worked in, in apparel before, Matt, I might be good at this. And Will kind of got excited about me taking, uh, taking the reins. And so we stopped talking to other people and we figured out, you know, what would make it work for me to come out. And we packed up our apartment and moved out to, <laughs> moved out to LA. It was one of those, it wasn't in the cards, wasn't planned for, um, but we made it happen. That's cool for, for, you know, you got to describe to listeners, the apartment you packed up and left because it's <laughs> one of the more unique apartments in Boston. That is true. Uh, yeah, I, our apartment here is very, very weird. Uh, as you mentioned, like it's shaped like a boat. It's, it's a block from the beach and, um, uh, but it is not the weirdest apartment I've lived in. <laughs> and that, that one, that, that's the one in Boston for sure. And it was uh, above a bar, uh, Dirty Nellie's, which is right where they set up Haymarket on Blackstone Street, sort of North Endish, uh, right off the Greenway. And it wasn't just above a bar. You had to walk through the bar to get to the apartment. <laughs> and, <laughs> so that it was, it was, we should have been on like a sitcom or a reality TV show or something. Our lives yeah. were kind of boring, but our apartment was interesting. Yeah. yeah. No, it's cool. And you got, um, you got Steve at that apartment, right? Your dog. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Uh, Steve is a two and a half year old now, a uh, miniature golden retriever. He's sleeping at my feet right now. But when we got him, uh, you know, he's a tiny little golden retriever puppy. And, you know, puppies have to go out to go to the bathroom constantly. And we would have to walk this tiny, adorable puppy to a bar full of drunk people every time we would take him out to the Greenway um, to go pee. So that, that was always a, an interesting adventure. And so sometimes people would follow us out to go out to go to the bathroom. Like they would, you know, roll around on the uh, cobblestone streets, like over there uh, <laughs> by Union Oyster House. And I was like, oh, you really don't want to be on the ground, guy. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, Steve is absolutely, I, I thought that Steve would really miss the snow, uh, but he has replaced his love for the snow with uh, a love for the sand on the beach here. So he's doing all right. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I remember, I remember coming back, we were looking for our apartment back in Boston and, and visiting uh, you at Dirty Nellie's slash your home. And, uh, and you were outside in the back where they had the little ca the cafe tables with Steve. When he was a yep. little pop. Um, cool. So, so what was it like um, settling into LA, like in this new role, like, you know, with, you know, a different type, like a, a, you, you were in charge um, of a, of a manufacturing facility or manufacturing you know, clothing, um, mm -hmm. you know, so what, what's, what's that, you know, what, what are the challenges, um, Ben in, in doing that? And can you kind of you know talk a bit about your team? Because it's, it's your team that you sort of, um, that you worked with and that was really, you know, eager to, to kind of shift their focus to, to produce masks, um, during this COVID-19 outbreak. So, um, sounds like you guys have just an amazing, amazing relationship and the team, um, is tremendous. So, so what's it, you know, what's it been like, um, working with those folks every day? It's been great, man. Like, uh, I'm really fortunate. Um, you know, I'm going to put another pat on, uh, William's back slash feather in his cap that the, the team that I inherited and the company that I inherited 
um, all of the hard stuff, uh, you know, was done. I, I just kind of had to come in and try and make it grow a little bit. Um, you know, I didn't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, I, I, I still don't know, you know, a fraction of the amount as, uh, as you know, our production team knows. Um, I couldn't make you a shirt if you, if I tried, but I trust those guys, um, to, to do their job because they're amazing at it. Mm-hmm. And, um, so our, our team works really clo- caref- uh, closely with the, with the team at the factory. And, um, you know, when this whole thing came about, uh, you know, th- this isn't something that I got in my onboarding materials, how to deal with a global pandemic. You know, right. there's, I can't Google this. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a first time CEO. I'm, I'm, I really, I care about our customers. I care about our team. I care about the factory, everything. Um, so the first thing that I did was like, I just kind of, lo- I, I really dug into the numbers. I was like, how long, what happens if our factory gets shut down? What happens if we, if we aren't allowed to ship anything? Um, you know, how long can we stay afloat uh, without me having to lay anybody off or cut salaries or, you know, do any of this stuff that is just really not desirable. And, uh, so the first thing we did is we asked our customers, we sent out an email that kind of had language that was, you know, I, I don't know how long we're going to be able to ship to you guys. Um, uh, you know, we, we may not be able to stay afloat for a really long time if we can't sell clothing. So if you've ever been kind of on the fence and eyeballing one of our things, uh, now would be a great time to support us. And here's a discount code for that. And uh, we, we sold three months worth of product in a weekend. Our customers really, really stepped up there. Mm-hmm. And so that gave me some, some kind of padding um, to, to let everybody on the team know that, you know, your, your jobs are safe. Um, nobody's getting a haircut with salary. You know, I won't have to furlough anybody. Uh, but that didn't really protect the factory because uh, the factory, I can only keep them working if, if they're allowed to work. And if there's, if, if there's a, a buyer for the clothing that we're making. Um, and so that's when uh, Laura Fitton, a, a Boston um, legend uh, was, she, she uh, mentioned me in a tweet about how some New York fashion companies were, you know, changing over and retooling their factories to make masks and gowns for the the healthcare industry, since there was such a uh, like such a missing element of of the supply chain there. For them, because so much of that was made in China, so much of it has been hoarded by people that don't actually need it. And I'm speaking of kind of the N95 masks here. Mm-hmm. And so I talked to our factory. I was like, "Hey, uh, can we make masks?" And so we we basically got like a week long crash course. All of us put our heads together to figure out what it would take for us to, you know, stop making men's clothes and start making um, masks initially and then gowns further on. Mm-hmm. And really uh, our, our factory, uh, Jorge, the guy that runs the factory and Andrew who runs all of our production, they just have, they have can do problem solver attitudes. And um, so they, they find creative ways to fix problems instead of creative ways to say no, which is uh, I'm so appreciative of. And so those guys were like, let's, let's figure out what pattern works the best. We can make anything if we're given the right pattern. So we really just started hammering the phones. Um, you know, we got intros to people at Kaiser Permanente, uh, at the Red Cross, uh, a number of other, um, either healthcare facilities or organizations. And we asked them, what should we be making right now? Give us the patterns. And so they did, um, you know, within three days we had, uh, we had a prototype made. And uh, now the the factory is just running full force, Mason making these things. 
Dude, that's amazing. I'm kind of taking a few notes down here, just like the, like soaking this all in because this is, you know, the, this is a lot of new information for me. Cause I know you've, you've been busy sort of producing and, or, you know, completely shifting and maneuvering the company in this mm-hmm. direction. So I heard, so, so Kaiser Red Cross, so like they, they basically helped provide you with like, when you said patterns, like what exactly did they provide you with that, that you could sort of f- like something that you could fulfill against so that, you know, it, like, so that whom could then be the buyer of, of these masks? Like, can you kind of walk through that or double click into that for, for a moment? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, it was kind of the wild west there for, I don't know, like, I don't, it, it seems like it's been a month, but it was really <laughs> just maybe a week or 10 days right. from the, the, from the time that we were like, Hey, we can't just sit on the sidelines while health care workers are asked, being asked to take like truck stop bandanas to work to protect them mm-hmm. against the deadly disease. Um, but we were like, Hey, we make t-shirts. Uh, <laughs> so we, we just started like sending out emails, you know, making calls, um, asking on Twitter, like, Hey, can someone guide us here? Tell us what to make. And so, uh, we found two particular patterns that were within, um, our, uh, our factory's capabilities. We're a, we're a non-medically sterile, you know, relatively low tech garment factory. We make clothing, right? You know, some of the masks require like the N95 masks, they require like three M's giant facility to, to make. So we're, we knew we weren't going to be able to make those, right. but we wanted, we wanted some direction initially as to what we were going to make and then uh, who is going to buy it from us. Cause right. unfortunately we're, we're, we're a, we're a struggling startup. I thought I was going to have to do layoffs, you know, two weeks ago. We're not in a position, unfortunately, to donate these things, although we would love to be able to, but yeah. it's, it, it was as win, win, win as, as possible for me to be able to keep the factory working, you know, some revenue coming in for us and then also give the healthcare uh, community, you know, some, some protective gear that will actually help them. Yeah, so that they're we, lacking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, the, we pretty quickly found two, uh, two patterns that we were able to make. One is kind of like a, uh, a pretty standard masks. And then the other one has, uh, the ability to, to slide in a removable, uh, filter. And okay. so, uh, those are the two ones that we're making, uh, where we're that there's another wild west element that we're dealing with right now is that, uh, I have a really easy time donating these to, uh, healthcare facilities. And we found a number of uh, corporate companies, you know, individuals that want to pre-purchase the masks from us for us to donate. Mm-hmm. But when if if I'm going to sell a million of these to a healthcare facility, even for a nickel, mm-hmm. there's all this red tape that they have to cut through um, just to to make that purchase. Like they, right. you know, we need to be certified in all these things, and the legislation to kind of loosen that up to get people what they need is lagging a little bit behind. The catastrophe, which is this whole COVID nineteen team thing, so we've we've changed our strategy a little bit from you know selling directly to the healthcare facilities, and there are healthcare facilities right now that are going rogue a little bit and mm-hmm. not going through their normal buying processes, and they're actually just buying directly from us, and they're like, you know what, fire me, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna get these things for my people. Yeah, um, and then the other thing that we're doing, which we're we're finding to be a lot more successful, is is having you know, other companies who want to know how to help with this, but, you know, don't have a factory like us, they're donating um, money to buy masks for the healthcare workers. And that's just kind of 
because I, I can donate these things and they'll be on a healthcare worker's face that day. If I have to sell them to the healthcare, uh, you know, then it goes through all this bureaucracy and red tape. And, yep, and it might not yeah. be on might not be on the face for three to four weeks. Yeah, that's great. So, so the so you're basically saying that the that pri- like the private sector, other businesses are coming in. They're essentially underwriting. They're assuming the cost of the mask so that the that the mask then can you know consequently be donated to the hospitals, which eliminates all the red tape and hurdles that currently a lack of legislation hasn't helped remove. Exactly. Fascinating. I have another, I have a couple other questions on this. One is I know Pistol Lake intimately, um, as intimately as sometimes the underwear I'm wearing, uh, which I highly yeah. recommend to <laughs> listeners. Um, and, and I think on a couple of the videos I've done for Boston Speaks Up, if you see me in a three button Henley, that's definitely a Pistol Lake shirt. It's fantastic. Yeah. So the, the, the fabrics, um, I say plural because there's different fabrics you have. And I know you mentioned Will sort of like, you know, move into that head of product and kind of a, you know, a geek when it comes to um, innovative fabrics. I'm just curious, how much has your focus on unique fabrics as a company been advantageous to your ability to create, you know, a couple different patterns here? Um, Is that, is that helpful? Are you repurposing some of those fabrics or is that, um, or is that not as much a factor? Uh, I think that the same kind of mindset that brought Will and Andrew to inventing these fabrics made them, you know, really smart and kind of versatile and, and, you know, that they can kind of pivot on a dime. Um, Mm -hmm. But we're actually, the fabrics that we're using, um, the fabrics we've invented, uh, the the two that are our best sellers are are called uh, Uday, and we have a lightweight and a midweight of that. That one's made out of recycled water bottles, eucalyptus, and a little bit of spandex for stretch. And it's really great for, it kind of works like a Nike dry fit um, in that it, it whips sweat really quickly. It doesn't get stinky because the eucalyptus kind of like fights uh, uh, microbes just naturally. But it's actually not a great material for this because it's so breathable and because the, the, the molecules are so far apart and the weave is, is loose so that it breathes really nicely. It actually okay. doesn't, make, doesn't make for a good face mask. Right, uh, because your if, if your sweat can go in and out and your perspiration mm-hmm. and, and all that, you know, so can other gross things. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we actually did initially is we used to make Oxfords, and we had a really really tight knit, um, all one hundred percent organic cotton um, uh, weave that we used for that, and we had a giant roll of that just sitting at our factory, and you know we're we. This kind of helped us with our, we're a sustainable company. We, we ethically manufacture everything in LA. Our supply chain is all here, but our, our fabric suppliers have been deemed non-essential businesses. Um, so we, we can't easily get more fabric from them right now. So this worked out great that we had this giant roll of the Oxford fabric that, was, that we just weren't using. So that's so tight knit that, that you know, most germs and, and liquids can't get through it. So it makes a really good mask. And so... We were like, okay, what do we got at the factory? Okay, let's grab the Oxford fabric and let's start making masks out of that. Because we, as much as we would have loved to have the, the U-Day would have been really breathable and would, would make people's faces not so sweaty and, and, you know, all that. But, you know, it wouldn't protect them as well. So we weren't able to use our fancy fabrics on that. We kind of went old school. No, that makes sense. The, the, and speaking from personal use, the, the U-Day being great for 
being breathable, like just every day or even working out in like for those benefits, it's also kind of, yeah, it makes sense that it would, it would not necessarily be the best for like creating a protective layer on the face. Um, so, so question for you on, on sort of when this is all done and, 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 but, and I don't mean to downplay like this, you know, the COVID-19 is not going away. Um, you know, folks who have parties planned and that pushed April parties to Bay, I mean, maybe yep. just suspend them indefinitely. Like we got a long road ahead. Um, so, you know, Pistol Lake has a long road ahead and right now this has been a great, you know, maneuver I've called it, you know, on this call and, and, and I don't know how you would, would you classify it as, but one of the things like I was listening to recode pivot podcast with Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway, and they were talking about how, you know, companies right now will like can sort of reinvent and re and, and establish like a, 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 a broader sense of their brand for the future. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious what a, with, with, is, are you going to expand your manufacturing services in the future? Do you think that this is just a, it's totally unique circumstance and, mm-hmm. you know, you have this blueprint. So if God forbid, you know, there was some sort of catastrophe, like you could help with sort of like, um, you know, play some sort of role in like medical worker, sort of like material relief. Um, is it, is it just something that you kind of put then, you know, the blueprints you put on a shelf for, for, you know, should those days come or do you actually see there being an opportunity for pistol Lake to expand a bit and the types of, um, products that you, that you push out from your, from your SoCal, um, factory? Uh, I mean, we're, we're always looking to expand like right, right before this, this whole thing happened. Uh, we just launched our new, uh, our first new fabric in over two years. And that was a, like a hemp and cotton and Uday blend. And, uh, we have several new projects or products rather that, um, that we've shelled for now that we were planning on launching in the next couple of weeks. Uh, cause like spring and summer is our, uh, it's our, it's our best time. Our stuff is good, warm weather gear. And so uh, we were rolling out a bunch of new things to kind of gear up, let people gear up for that. But we yeah. shelved that to make the masks. But, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to use this experience to, to realize how quickly that we can, you know, pivot and, and, and kick ass if we need to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was a really galvanizing moment for the entire team because, you know, um, it's in a time like this, it's really easy to feel like, overwhelmed and like there's nothing you can do and just like it's a a hopeless state and we actually felt like and we actually feel like we're doing something to help and that's that's making some of the kind of just awful void that is right now and just kind of the sense of impending doom um some of that is is you know is kind of tempered by the fact that we feel like we're actually doing something to help and so the team has gotten closer to that um but as far as continuing to make uh, you know, products for, for the healthcare industry. I, I doubt that'll be something we do. I think we just kind of had, this is a perfect storm. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, um, we've outsourced so much of, of our manufacturing for, for things that are now being shown to be absolutely mission critical to our, our, our country's security and health to other countries. And so when those countries, uh, you know, China had to shut down a lot of its manufacturing. So there was a huge, missing element of N95 masks and our healthcare workers are suffering. And right. so, um, you know, that I, 
another pandemic could cause that. But after now that China's coming back online, now that they've gotten the disease a little bit under control and they've slowed the growth, um, I think there'll be there'll be less of a demand for small companies like us to kind of step in. But there was a real need in that kind of interim time between when when China couldn't supply what we've outsourced to them. Um, and where, you know, domestic manufacturers such as us could really step in and help. What I do think is going to happen uh, is that, and I, and I hope so, is that more and more customers, governments, purchasers of any kind are going to look at companies' supply chains and look at their, you know, how ethical or unethical their manufacturing practices are. Like, mm. are they, you know, if if you were in a, a uh, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, any country or anything, but in other countries, um, you know, manufacturing facilities are sweatshops in a lot of cases. Um, ours is not. So it was really easy for us to, to let our factory continue working um, and still have the six foot social distance. Um, you know, it's, it's clean. It's, it's not a sweatshop. Um, you know, so it, I think that more and more people are going to care about how things are made instead of just the price tag after this thing. Yeah. Well said. Um, that's actually, you know, we kind of hit that off the top and, and almost over, I've almost overlooked it for much of the interview, but the, you know, I remember when you wrote your medium post to, you know, leaving Boston and heading to LA on this new journey to be the, the CEO of pistol Lake. And you very, um, purposefully pointed out that it was sort of ethically, you know, made clothing company. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, you know, I mean, do you want to double click on that at all? Is it, I mean, it, it does seem, I mean, I work in the marketing world, as you know, and you see more and more studies being done where young people in particular, like they are, their brand, their, you know, brand affinity right now today is to brands that they think are, you know, um, they align with sort of ethically, um, and their, uh, you know, likelihood of, of ditching a brand and going to another brand is, um, much aligned to sort of like, you know, that brand's ideals and sort of like, you know, sort of social impact policy, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you, do you feel like, I mean, I think in that regard, Pistol Lake's really built for certainly the future that, I would hope that um, gets an even stronger, some stronger momentum in, in America, but really the globe coming, coming off of this pandemic. Do you think that's fair to say? I mean, uh, I hope so. I hope you're yeah. right. Um, that, that I'm hoping that there's some silver linings that, that come out of this, you know, worldwide tragedy, not just for Pistol Lake, but just for humans in general. And, you know, there's not necessarily anything wrong with outsourcing. Um, You know, that's businesses have to do what they have to do. But I do think that, you know, we have a really, we have a tight knit group of really loyal customers. And, you know, our, uh, the the things that we sell on a monthly basis, 65 to 70% of them are are the people who have already purchased something from us before we people once, once they know we exist and they get it, um, they really seem to care. And I think a big part of that is, is to your point, is that um, we make a point to make sure that, you know, our our factory is a, a safe place to work, that we're doing everything ethically, that we're we're not just trying to make the cheapest thing that we can. And I, I think the fast fashion was already kind of on the way out. Um, mm-hmm. You've seen a lot of um, you've seen a lot of fast fashion companies that sell three and five dollar T-shirts. 
um, you know, under really unscrupulous kind of manufacturing practices all mm-hmm. throughout the supply chain, you're seeing those companies kind of die out. And that, that even happened before, you know, all of this crazy stuff with the COVID-19. Right. And, you know, um, I think that there's going to be, um, you know, a bit, uh, an even bigger die off of, of large companies like that, that are really just making, um, you know, cheap stuff that's going to end up in a landfill in three months. Uh, and yeah. hopefully after this, people will kind of think about, you know, which, which companies, um, you know, which companies helped, which companies didn't, which companies added to the problem. Um, and think a little bit more about buying things that are, that are quality and are kind of built to last instead of something that they just wear three times and toss away. And right. hopefully we'll kind of, we'll, that, that's our whole deal. And we've been doing it since 2012 and. I can't take credit in the slightest for this. This was William and Andrew and uh, Shane that, that kind of came up with, uh, you know, all of these principles. And I just kind of get to to kind of step in and keep talking about these rad things that, that they brought to my attention. Hey, you're a great shepherd. <laughs> How many masks are you guys making right now? Uh, we can make between 500 and 1,000 a day, depending mm-hmm. on the complexity of the design. We have two designs. Yeah. And, um we're we're just cranking them in. Uh, we're nice. gonna we're we we're gonna run out of fabric um, kind of towards the the middle of the month, and we've we've been working with um, with with several government agencies to get special permission for our fabric supplier right. uh, here in LA to, so to temporarily open. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, which is that that was a whole new world for me too. You know, there's so many. Yeah. I, I have a different job now that I did two weeks ago. It's just wild. Yeah. Totally different partners to deal with. And, and yeah, totally. yeah. Totally different supply chain. Yep. Yeah. Totally different brokers of, um, yeah. I mean the, the, yeah, the significance of getting that essential status on your supplier so that you don't run out of fabric. I mean, five, 500 to a thousand mass a day. That's great. I mean, it's, and you have a good pipeline of um, businesses that are, helping that they're essentially underwriting that to get them to hospitals. That's, um, that's amazing. Um, Ryan, this has been great, man. What's it like in LA right now? Can you describe it for folks? Like you've lived there now for going on a couple of years, almost two yeah. years, right? It's going to be two years yeah. next month. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's weird right now. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, when it, when the whole first kind of safer at home, declaration came down. Um, you know, I live on the West side, right by the beach, um, in between Venice and Marina del Rey. And, you know, when, when everything closed, uh, that first weekend, I think the city didn't really take it that seriously. So, um, everybody flocked to, uh, the hiking paths and the beach because that's what Angelinos do. They hike, they go to the beach. Mm-hmm. So, um, yep. it, it was really, it was way too crowded. It was really packed. And, um, the local government, the mayor, they closed the beach, they closed, um, you know, the parking lots, um, they, they closed the hiking paths and people seem to be taking it seriously now. Uh, it has a, you know, it, it has an, an odd feeling cause you know, anything that's empty that you're used to seeing bustling, um, right. you know, feels weird, but the, the local community seems you know, people are cheery. Um, you know, people are supporting their local restaurants and bars, uh, the takeout, you know, cause those mm-hmm. guys are getting, we were able to pivot to, to making masks because of what we do, but it's not like a bar or a restaurant can just do something else when they're shut down by the city. 
And, you know, if it's a, I'm really feeling for the service industry right now. There's yeah. been a number of, of really cool things in LA where, uh, you know, that it's like takeout Tuesday, you know, go yeah. support the, go support the restaurants and, and bars that you, that you used to buy from to make sure that they're still there whenever the dust clears. Oh, yeah. Thing. Yeah. Um, and LA did a cool thing or California did a cool thing, um, where, you know, bars and restaurants can now serve takeout alcohol and they couldn't do that before. Oh yeah. Um, so that was a, a way to help support, uh, the local businesses and stuff too. It's going to be a yeah. mess when this whole thing's over. It is. Um, you, but you are seeing some innovative models to respond to like actually to that point about the food industry responding. Um, so here in Massachusetts, um, you, you, you remember market basket. Oh yeah. All right. So there's a restaurant in Salem, Massachusetts called ledger, very like mm-hmm. high end restaurant in Salem, mass. And, um, they actually opened a new service during this called ledger basket. And it's kind of like, it's got the market basket branding, um, and ledger gets all its food actually locally sourced. Like all its produce comes through, um, crop shop market, which is actually a company that I've had on, on the Boston speaks up podcast. And right now, through and our friends, I just did a. This is why you know another thing that's a byproduct of this is you're talking to your friends more, um, and family more. But we had a, a Google Hangout with the with a couple, two couples last night, and one pointed us to Ledger Market, where and this is going to hit on two points you made. One, they're like making their fresh produce and like gro- like they made themselves like a grocery store. So you can get locally sourced. So they're helping local farmers still sell, Mm -hmm. but you could also buy prefixed meals from ledger, like their salmon meals, super popular. And they do limited runs of that. And to your point, you can buy their cocktails and they'll send you, and they've, there's, you know, permissions on them being able to, you know, you know, drizzly styles, like deliver you booze along with your, with your food. So, um, and and it's not to say now, well, maybe making masks for metal medical workers is is quite a bit of an outlier to something that would fit in the long term for Pistol Lake. I think Ledger just stumbled onto a business model. They may want to cons- consider continuing when all is said and done here, because um, I think that's the sort of um, you know sort of product and service that that people sort of ex- almost expect. Um, and certainly during these times need, um, but so it's been, it's been nice to see those kind of models, um, come about and to your points about LA, I can only imagine because having been a, you know, an avid hiker and beach goer and lived in the same structure that you now live in, um, (laughs) it must be tough, um, for, for you, but it must be the most tough for Steve. Yeah. How's he doing? uh... (laughs) Uh, you know, it's, it's probably balancing out. Like he's bummed that he can't go hiking or, you know, to the beach, but he has, uh, he has his two favorite humans here 24 seven with him. Nice. Yeah. So, um, uh, I'm not, he has no idea what's going on, but he knows he's into it. Yeah. That's <laughs> great. Um, so Ryan, like we just came up on the hour. This has been a pleasure. I'm, I really appreciate you taking the time on, on a weekend. I didn't, you know, I'm glad that we could do this and also didn't want to take it away from this, this new business you find yourself running at Pistol Lake through these, um, uncertain times, but just thank you for the time. Um, appreciate what you're doing. Just, you know, stoked to, to be able to chat today and, and get the word out and, and, and hopefully it, um, it can inspire other entrepreneurs to just, uh, get, you know, get creative and help out and, and plenty already are. Um, 
but yeah, man, just wishing you all the best and you and your loved ones, like, you know, good, good health and, uh, looking forward to seeing you in real life on the other side. I'll, I'll be due for an LA trip when, when this is all said and done. Yeah, for sure, man. I really appreciate it too. And we'll have to, uh, I'm, I got to come out to Boston once it's, uh, once the dust clears, I want to go support some of my favorite restaurants and bars. We'll hit up Dirty Nellie's. We'll go to my buddy's place at Silvertone. We'll have a good time. Nice. That that sounds great, dude. Um, all right, man. I'll talk. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, bud. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Cheers, Boston.